Umpire fans and welcome to the Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is 30-year veteran and baseball Saskatchewan umpire Trevor Drury. Some of the topics we look to go over are having a difficult conversation with a supervisor, language barriers, and what it's like to get squeezed by an umpire at a national championship. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. baseball and umpire fans and welcome back to another episode of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate well it's hard to believe really but we're rolling into episode five or the top of the third as we like to refer to it around here at leading edge headquarters we have some big news coming too besides just our facebook we are now officially on spotify so you can tune into this podcast on Spotify. The other places you can tune into it is, of course, tune in, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you want, really. All I ask is that you tune in, listen, share it if you would, leave some comments, and give us some feedback. Because, really, we're enjoying it, but this is for you. So tell us how you would like to make it better. Okay, enough of this advertising stuff. Let's talk about last week's show. We had Brad Johnston and Sean Weatherill, my crew from the 2019 Baseball Canada Cup. We had a great time. And here is an excerpt if you haven't heard that show already. Definitely learned a lot about our crewmates that night and their limited blackjack experience. So that was fun. I think the 21's tough, man. <laughs> okay, we're going to go back to the 90s. Are you more? Innocent? I was born then. Sean, Sean, do you remember those? <laughs> I was a twinkle in some of those years. <laughs> Brad doesn't even get to answer. Uh, no, the, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a great bounce back. Yeah, you're beginner's luck there, sir. Take it and run. We've gotten our feedback. Sean's done ejecting everybody. Well, I can assure you, Brad, that you definitely have a face for radio, so... Yeah, right on. No kidding, man. That's why I better, better buy the plate. Just put a mask on me. Maybe you're the cause for COVID. So like I said, we had a lot of great times on that episode. And if you get the opportunity, go back, take a listen, comment, like it, share it, all that fun stuff. But let's be honest, you're not here to listen to that episode. You're here to listen to this one. And the fact that you're here, well, it tells me a lot. So we're not going to hold you up any longer, and we're going to get to this show. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce one of my mentors and an umpire I look up to, an unofficial Baseball Canada Level 6 umpire, and a guy who always chooses the crunchy, over-the-smooth peanut butter, Trevor Drury. Trevor, welcome to The Leading Edge. Thanks for having me, fellas. Well, the pleasure's all mine, Trevor. You're the fifth guest here in the leading edge, and that makes you the fifth batter in the lineup. Simply, your job is to be the second best power hitter and protect the cleanup hitter. So I hope you can do just that. Hey, at least I'm 
one of the top five episodes, at least for one week anyways. Fifth episode, you're guaranteed to be top five. So Trevor, we get into the leading edge. We really like to start this show off by allowing you to introduce yourself because you're a man of a very thick resume. My playing career started as a kid, just, just like everybody else. Um, I played all the way up through first year of bat and baseball. I guess I could categorize my career uh, by the classic scouting report. Good field, no hit. I played mostly middle infield. Um, eventually settling on just second base, you know, just because that's where my arm strength is used for. Um, as far as hitting goes, I was good for some walks. I was really good at bunting. And the odd slap hit the left, left field. Um, and I could steal the odd base. Where'd that speed go? I, I think it expanded outwards from my gut. So I don't get there as fast, but my front end gets there sooner, if you know what I mean. Um, so after Batham, I decided to switch to golf um, for the summer. I wanted a chance to be able to hit something hard up the middle. I'm still waiting for that, though. But you go fast forward 15 years from then, uh, I moved to Lucky Lake as the principal of the school there, and I resumed my playing career playing senior baseball with the Beach of Breakers. They're actually caught because that showcased my speed and maximized my, my newfound arm strength by playing first base. Hitting-wise, I was much improved. I managed to, to uh, bat. My batting average was my weight. Oh, wait, I was a little bit lighter back then, so maybe that's not so good. I thought it was like golf in your age, but maybe not. Playing in Beachy, we won the league, league championship. Oh, upon champion. hearing that I League champion. Upon, upon hearing that I won the league championship, they folded the league. That sounds like a Ray Bork situation. Went out a champion, did you? Yeah. So there's a few of us around there that weren't done playing ball. So we actually uh, joined up the Saskatoon Brewers in the Saskatoon Men's Baseball League. Again, I batted my weight. I played some first base in outfield. And then they found the best blossoms of power for my throw, throwing up, which was as a third base coach. I, I played the, the first year. My first at bat in the league. It was quite memorable. I uh, struck out on the pitch, called strike three by one Mr. Travis Worms on a pitch that was low and outside. I think he might be a prodigy of Aaron Robinson. It was low and outside and called strike three. And I was provincial supervisor at the time. And, and I turned on Travis. I said, was that fun for you? And then I turned and I went to the bench. And that was my last of the bat. So I opened a beer. <laughs> Saskatoon Men's League opened a beer. Yeah. So later in the season, we're in the playoffs. I still hold this record with the Brewers. And it might be a league record. I lead all third base coaches with runs batted in. How? Uh, first playoff game, we are playing against the Armadillos. And we have a runner on, on first base. And this is a Stephen Baker with, with no offenses. Past the dugout. Our batter hits a ground ball to shortstop. It throws to second base, and, and our runner is safe at second. The second baseman throws it to first, overthrows, goes out of play. Base umpire awards our runner third base and our batter second base. Now, I'm in third base to coach the ball. I call time, and I call this umpire over, and I say, hey, was that not the second play by, by an infielder? And the umpire knows me, obviously, says, yes, that was. I said, so where should you award that runner? And he all time, and he did the right thing, and he sent my runner home, and my batter second base, and the whole Arbordale team was going nuts, because he just go to run on this. The coach has been around for a while, and knows me as well. Came out, looked at me in the third base coach's box, said to his team, calm down, he's right, and walked back in. My team did not know what was going on, so they wrote, 
Brewery RBI in the scorebook. Classic. That is a classic story. That's the importance of knowing the difference between time of pitch and time of throw. Yes. That is the making of a good third base coach and the making of, we always talk about coaches as umpires, knowing the right thing to say at the right time. Yes. And to finish off my playing career, I played one more year with the Brewers after we won the league championship. I was unable to participate in the playoffs the following year because I didn't have the championship to, to umpire. But I returned just in time for the final. And the first game of the finals, I go out and coach third base. And Aaron Roberts alluded to this in the previous program, but uh, he was working the plate. One of his first games back, since coming back from minor league baseball, he called a strike on one of my batters from the third base coach's box. All he heard from me was, that must be a strike in A ball, eh? And I looked down there and all I see is a big grin, not knowing if I'm going to get ejected, because I very well could have been, and I would have accepted it. It would have been fine. But I just saw this big grin underneath his mask. He's like, you bastard, Drury. Yeah. But he let it go, and we played, and we ended up losing the series. It was good, and I, I had my playing retirement like that. So Love how these stories are coming together on the leading edge. We're hearing one side, now we get the other. So if you're interested in hearing the first half of that story, listen to episode three with Aaron Roberts. So we've talked your playing career. Well, the whole purpose why we've asked you to come on the show is to talk about your umpiring career. So Trevor, you're no offense, but a senior guy here in Saskatchewan, well-known right across the province, the Western Canada, actually Canada and the world with some of your experience. So tell me, how many years have you been at it? This would be my 30th year. Wow. Eligible for retirement, I think. Just to make you feel old, I was still in Huggies when you started. I'm definitely on the back nine of my career, though. Well, you didn't play a really good front nine, so I am concerned about the back nine. No, it's all about the beer. <laughs> for some, it's all about the beer. To me, the beer can be interpreted in many different ways, and it's all about the camaraderie and the family of umpiring. I don't hear that. As he cracks a beer. This is classic. <laughs> So, we know you're at it 30 years. Why did you get into umpiring? Well, I was out of the game from playing for, for a year. And I missed the game. I really did. Obviously, for my playing career, it's, it's notable I was not an, an all-star. But I did miss the game. Plus, I was 15 years old. Wanted to find a way to make some money in the summer. I needed to, play, I needed to find a way to replace the golf balls that didn't go straight down the middle. Those Callaways aren't cheap. No, they're not. So it, it ended up being a good summer job. I actually went to my first clinic with one of my cousins. So you got into it for money. I think that's probably very true why 100% of us get into it. But obviously money didn't keep you around. What has been some of the things that have kept you in the game this long? Well, obviously the love of the game is a number one answer in that, in that category. Um, just being part of a, of a great pastime and being involved with great people involved with the game. on the umpiring side and on the baseball side. There's a lot of great people to be involved with. One of the key things, though, is the camaraderie, the, the, the brothership that we have as umpires. Just working with the guys I get to work with daily, weekly, championships, meeting new guys. Everybody has something in common. Coming from different backgrounds, different places, coming together to do the same job. And the fellowship that's there immediately draws me back to the game. I think that's what brings a lot of the people back to the game and back to the ballpark every night. Because after a while, 
the $20 doesn't represent why we really get into it. At least it hasn't for me. I can't speak for everybody. But now you talk championships and we're in Saskatchewan. Do you have any memorable provincial championships? I have a few. One of the big ones that, that really kickstarted my, my career, I guess, would be the 1996 South Summer Games in Moose Jaw. Moose Jaw. It seems to be a regular community that comes up here on the leading edge. It, it is a fantastic baseball town. In that tournament, uh, I got to work a feature game between Zone 3, which is Moose Jaw with Current, versus Zone 2, which is Regina. Now, if you don't know Saskatchewan, Moose Jaw versus Regina is a big rival. Those two cities are 35 minutes apart, and they hate each other. Um, so I got to work a, a plate job at night in Roswell's Park under whatever lights they had available, which are pretty much the same as they are now. It was hard to see second base. But I got to work a feature game there behind the plate. The game ended with a Regina player being called out at the plate by me. It was an attempted squeeze plate, so sliding tag plate. And Roswell's Park was packed. There must have been six, seven, maybe 800 people there. The place went nuts. This Regina kid got called out to end the game. We won't mention the fact that I left my plate brush in the dressing room before the game. We won't mention that. But we ended this game with the Regina kid getting thrown out of the plate. I threw the big hammer, called him out. Crowd went nuts. 100% confident in the right call. And at a time where I wasn't 100% confident in my calls. But I knew I nailed this one. And I had, and all night long I had a great game. And it was just a... A fantastic experience. My first time on the big provincial stage with top provincial umpires, with supervisors watching. It was a fantastic experience. I'll, I will never forget that. Another memorable provincial, I would have to say just after that, two years after that, 98 in Lloydminster, I worked at Junior Provincial. And Rocky Nickel, who supervised me in Moose Jaw, and then again in Lloydminster, along with Brian Jansen, took me aside that term privately into a minivan that they had there. And basically ripped me apart, saying two years ago in Moose Jaw, you showed a ton of event, you showed a ton of potential. This weekend, you've shown us nothing but garbage. So if you want to be an elite umpire, work in becoming an elite umpire, or just umpire locally. Either way is fine. So that, I totally got ripped apart in that tournament. Luckily, I responded the correct way. I worked in my game to become that elite umpire. So I will always remember rocking grind in that band, motivating me be something better than I was. I guess the other memorable provincial I had was my first one supervising. I supervised in 2004, right after I got my senior course conductor status, uh, junior provincials in Melville. And I had a crew with uh, Chad Wagner, uh, Larry Schrader, Trevor Stoiko, and this young punk named Stu. And I will tell you, as a supervisor goes, I was tested. First game of the tournament, I'm watching, and I get a phone call on myself. They had cell phones it, back then? No, it was a cell phone. I know, because I had to take an extra vehicle just so I could carry it with me. <laughs> the old bag phone. The old bag phone. So, I'm, I'm supervising the first game, and I get a phone call. Yeah, it's uh, Chad here. Uh, I'm, I'm here with Stu. We're here to work the next game, but we hit a deer. Our car is in, undrivable, so we can't make it there for the next game. So I pull up my binder. I'm starting to look through the schedule and who I can fill in. And, and I'm getting ready to get my gear out, ready to go. And then I hear laughing. And Chad and Stu are behind the bleachers, 10 feet behind me. <laughs> just just pranking me. And that was the start of the weekend. 
Well, then we have the opening ceremonies. Where we're in the dressing room. I say, okay, guys, we're wearing navy blue. Oh. Yes, I'm not old. Gross. So I walk, I step outside, let the guys get ready for opening ceremonies, walk back in, and I see a navy blue shirt. Then I see a black shirt. Then I see a red shirt. Then I see a powder shirt. Then I see a powder blue alpaca shirt. And we went to the opening ceremonies like that. So everything that could happen that tournament to a supervisor did. I I will also say I remember one of the umpires, I won't mention the name, Chad Wagner, was not having his best tournament at one point. He was maybe struggling a bit. Just I don't know why. Just things weren't clicking. So we made a bet. Before one of the games on Saturday, I think it was, I bet him he could not call the entire game left-handed. So behind the plate, he settles in. The first three innings, every strike, sure enough, left-handed. And I'm starting to get worried because this is going to cost me a box of beer. The fifth inning, he goes to call a strike, and I see the right hand come up and then go right back down and the left hand come up. Well, his right hand went right back down into his ball bag and grabbed on. <laughs> and he went left-handed the rest of the way. No problem. It cost me a box of beer. I will tell you that Chad had a great game. He was relaxed, having fun. It was just just a testament to, to the, the environment we had at that tournament. It was just fantastic. He could relax. And, and then we stole the shower curtain. We stole all of uh, Larry Schrager's clothes. I shouldn't say we. Who? Who? Who's? Who's we? Chad and another young umpire from Regina went down. Went down to the shower where Larry was showering and stole all of his clothes. And so Larry comes up from the shower wearing this royal purple shower curtain. Saying, you freaking guys, because you're so freaking funny. And it wasn't over there. Ten years later, Larry had his 50th birthday party. And Chad and this other young umpire from Regina gave him the same shower curtain for his birthday present. So, Anybody ever mess with your gear? Do we really want to go there right now? No, I actually want to move on to, you've talked about Prince Provincial Championships. Let's That's talk. a good idea, Philip. That's <laughs> a good idea. Let's talk national championships. Oh, I started nationals. Uh, my first national championship was in 2001. Then back, now it's called U15. Um, I've been attending ever since. So I've done a total of 10 nationals as an umpire, um, all the way from the U15 level up to a senior, including uh, Canada Summer Games and two times at T12. Now, with that many championships, do you have a favorite one amongst them? All tournaments are unique. And asking me what my favorite tournament is, is kind of like asking me who my favorite child is. So that depends on the time you ask me. <laughs> it's easy when you're like me and you only have one, right? I have two. So it, it depends on the moment. Um, right. If, if I had to choose, I, I can narrow it down to three. But the other seven are tied for a close second. Okay. Um, the first one, was my first national, the, the Bantam National in Windsor, Ontario in 2001. Um, it was my first time on an airplane. Ironically, two weeks before before 9-11. So that kind of, when I got home, kind of freaked me out. But it was my first time on an airplane, my first big trip. It was interesting because I uh, worked that tournament, my first tournament with Lisa Turbot, Chris Wilhelm, and Andrew Downs. Well, you fast forward 10 years, Chris Wilhelm, Andrew Downs, and I worked our first international tournament together in Thunder Bay. And Lisa Turbot has gone on to have a tremendous national and international career in her own right. 
it was it's very special when I look at, back at it that way. Next favorite tournament I have to say would be the Canada Summer Games, which was in 2005, and the city that rhymes with fun. We had Andrew Higgins, Steph Dupont, Brent Chadwick, Braden Lonsbury, then of Manitoba, now of Saskatchewan. It was just a great tournament because it was the Canada Summer Games. One crack at um, it. One crack. And we had a tremendous crew, all, all staying at Luther College, which many of the Western Canada Baseball League umpires know well now, but we stayed there. I guess one of the best stories is the opening story. We went to an opening meeting, and Rocky, Nickel, and Brian Hodgson were supervisors. And they gave us a choice. Should we go to the opening ceremonies at then Taylor Field, or go to Melville to watch a, a SMBL playoff game? And somebody asked, how, how far are we at Melville? And Rocky just simply replied, oh, that's about four beers. <laughs> so we hopped, we hopped in vehicles and we went to Melville to watch a baseball game for the opening ceremonies. Just, um, just to cut you off, Trevor, you said SMBL? Oh, that's the precursor to the WMBL, which is the precursor to the Western Canada Baseball League. Once again, I'm that old. So you've been to the, um, you got the Canada Games. You said you had three. What's the next one? The last one, uh, in my top three would have to be the seniors in 2018 in Victoria. I'd supervised the seniors before, but I'd never officially reached that level six status of having a successful evaluation of the seniors. So finally, with my school schedule and seniors always being so late that leads me to the start of our, our school year, I'd never been able to attend one. I was finally able to attend one. I had a successful evaluation, so I'm now an unofficial level six umpire. Um, I also got to room with... Uh, Mark Bodwell from BC, that, which is his last national before he retires. Uh, an absolute institution in baseball, BC. A great umpire, a good guy. Avid soccer fan, which always led to a lot of fun. And we make fun of him, but, but a really good guy. So, Mark, if you're listening, go Arsenal. Now, Trevor, you talked, you've been to multiple national championships. One of my favorite parts of going to the championship is definitely some of the stuff that happens off field. Do you have any good memories away from the ball diamond? Quite a few, but I, I, I'd have to, to specify at the 2005 Canada Summer Games. Um, it was quite unique because we're at Luther College with other sports officials. Brings to mind a quote I just read in Bruce, Bruce Weber's book, As They See Him, which is a, a reporter who wrote a book about umpires. And he said how one umpire's story often becomes another umpire's story. It's true. If you've ever read books by Ron Luciano or Edward Merrill or Ken Kaiser, you'll hear the same stories in all three books. It occurs in amateur umpiring as well. Canada Summer Games, where we're with officials from all of the sports, one of the big stories is baseball umpires coming back to the dorms in the morning as the soccer reps are going out to their morning job. And that happened to me. And that's a story that has happened to other umpires in Canada. So, yes, stories, situations are timeless. One other off-field memory that I have to share involves a crew at the 2003 single-site national championship in Windsor, Ontario. That was the year of the big blackout they had in Eastern Canada. So part of the the week, um, and Rocky Nickel tells this story well about being at the bottom of the staircase at our at our dorm with a box of beer and our baseball equipment and trying to figure out which one to carry up the stairs first. It was a tough decision, but 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 the highlight, obviously, 
sorry, the highlights from that tournament was the end. We're sitting around after the gold medal game of the Baseball Canada Cup where Quebec wins, I think it was 5-2. A fellow by the name of Fran McHugh from New Brunswick is behind the plate, and Quebec wins. I worked their base, and the legendary Dave Buckingham was working second base. There's a name that keeps getting dropped on this show. I've never met yeah. the guy, but it he it, Robert says he's a legend, so. He is. A really good umpire from Quebec named Jeff Gauthier was on first base. So we worked that game. Uh, Quebec wins. We go back to the dorms. In the middle of the dorms, where the umpires were, and they also housed some parents and some families and some, some, some of the teams of these dorms as well. We had a common area in the middle where us umpires would all gather. We were sitting there having some pots, and the team Quebec coach comes in with the Canada Cup, filled with ice, with a champagne bottle in. Comes into the room where us umpires are. Proceeds to say, yeah, we won, but we would have won better if the whole plate umpire hadn't squeezed us. At that moment, Dave Buckingham gets out of his chair, goes up to the Quebec coach, reaches underneath the cup, and grabs the Quebec coach underneath the cup, if you know what I'm saying, oh. and squeezes. Oh. And says, boy, you mean squeeze me like this? <laughs> and uh, the look, look on the, the coach from Quebec, he didn't know whether to drop the cup with a champagne in the ice or, or just stand there and take it. It was just, it was a priceless moment. And it's all Bucky. All Bucky. All Bucky. Well, safe to say that Fran didn't miss the low outside pitch, according to Bucky. No, Fran had a great game. Fran had a great game. I mean, Bucky would be the guy, too, looking right across from second base. He built for him. Yep. That's what, that's what umpiring is all about, is having each other's back. Don't Not necessarily covering things up, but standing up for each other when the moment yep. arises. So on behalf of the umpire family, thanks, Bucky. Well, it sounds like you've had a lot of great experiences at national championships. Now, Trevor, you've mentioned on a couple of occasions that you've supervised. Would you care to share with us how it's different being a supervisor in comparison to an umpire at one of these championships? Well, I've uh, supervised since 2006. Uh, it was my first one, which was the Baseball Canada Cup. And my most recent was 2019, doing the uh, Senior Women's Invitational. I've done every, every level in between there. How different? Yeah. Supervising is hard. Supervising is hard. It is. You go to a city to supervise a tournament, and you're basically a hotel first thing in the morning, ballpark, and then back to the hotel late at night, and then wake up in the morning and go back to the ballpark. So it, it, it is a grind because you're at the ballpark all day. You don't get to experience the city, which is why I really did not mind supervising Regina. I didn't need to experience that city, but <laughs> it, it is. Sorry, Regina guys. It is a grind. It is much more difficult than umpiring an event because you umpire a game or two games a day and then you relax. Supervising your you're on call twenty four seven. And you're at the ballpark, you're meeting with guys afterwards in between games. It's much more demanding. But it is also just as rewarding. When you get to work with guys who are developing, are learning new things, and you get to have a hand in and in improving their development or, or aiding in their development, sorry. It is very rewarding. And you, you leave the tournament tired, but fulfilled. Definitely supervising has made me a much better umpire. Just from being on, on the other side of that conversation, learning what supervisors look for, what I look for, and what I see as a supervisor, 
and what the traits of a good official on field are. I can emulate those better on the field. Uh, the debriefs that we have help me as both a supervisor, a teacher, a mentor, but also as an umpire. Because I get to evaluate my own practice with the feedback I get from the umpires in those conversations, which are, are very often two-way conversations. One thing that I've learned, though, is I've been on, as I mentioned, with Rocky and Brian in the back, one end of a difficult conversation. That's very hard. But for supervisors, their end of that difficult conversation is equally as hard. So when you have that conversation with the supervisor, acknowledge, please, that they're struggling with this, too. They don't want to give that necessarily a negative message, but it has to be done. Overall, supervising has been a great experience. Uh, I've worked again with, with tremendous supervisors, supervised tremendous umpires, learned a lot, and I've had a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad that you're having a lot of fun, Trevor. As an umpire, I know I do appreciate the work that supervisors put in. We had Scott Mills on back on episode two, talking about his supervisor experience. And he echoed a lot of the same sentiments that you said, delivering a difficult message and the fact that you're always on. I know that I've been on the front end of a difficult conversation from a few supervisors and look how I turned out. But I do want to thank the people that have delivered that message because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't get better as umpires. It's the reality and it, sometimes it has to happen. Okay, let's get off the supervisor topic and back to Trevor Jury. Now, Trevor, you say that you've worked an international championship. Where and when did that happen? I've had the honor of working three world championships. Uh, uh, 2010, first of all, in, in Thunder Bay, which was then under I, IBAF, and it was called the, the World Youth Championship. Um, 2015, after the rebranding of the World Organization, uh, WBSD. Uh, 2015, I went to Osaka, Japan, so with the U18 World Cup, and then with the U18 World Cup again in 2017 back in Thunder Bay. Well, that's interesting. You've been to Thunder Bay twice and Japan. You're kind of worldly. You got into umpiring, had never been on an airplane before, and now you're all the way in Japan. Do you have any experiences or stories from any of those championships that you would like to share with us? There's a lot. I think I'll start in 2010. My welcome to the world moment, uh, I had the Netherlands versus Cuba. I was behind the plate. It was 7 nothing for Cuba. By that time, how many low outside pitches have you missed? None. We're not supposed to lie on this show. I want truth. No, I had not worked in Saskatoon for like three years before that, so I'm good on low outside pitches. Okay, so it's 7 nothing, and you've hit every low outside yeah. pitch. Okay, what's going yeah. next? So, anyways, Netherlands have never be beaten Cuba at this tournament. And Cuba's cruising. They're up 7 nothing, And they have the bases loaded with two out. And sure enough, a Cuban hits a bomb. High fly ball to right field. But it's high enough that nobody's quite sure if it's going to clear. Sure, sure enough, it clears after the batter runner passes R1 rounding first base. Oh, interesting. Here I am, watching all this from behind the plate. My first base umpire from Italy goes down on it, and I have the second base umpire in the middle from Panama, who's maybe not as experienced as some of the other guys at the tournament, and my third base umpire from France. So now I have to call them all in and say, hey, guys, seriously, let's talk about this. 
and that's the guy from France. Frank was his name, actually. Franck. Franck from France. Franck from France. This. Founder Pass Runner. I'm like, that's what I got. Good enough. So, I, I'm, and that was the only English spoken, spoken in that particular meeting. We have to break that meeting. I walk towards the Cuba dugout and I yell, batter out. And immediately five people from the bench start running at me. So I put up my stop sign. That's universal, right? Doesn't matter what language you speak, the stop it, sign. It doesn't matter. They do that. I put up a stop sign. I said, one guy, manager, please, four for four. <laughs> so, that, so the manager comes out and he calls in the Panamanian umpire as well, who has no idea what I call because he doesn't speak a lick of English. I don't speak any Spanish. Cuban manager does not speak English. So I'm going to explain batter out, no run score. So eventually we get there and I think the manager knew he just had to come out. It's 7 nothing. He's not too concerned about it. They're coasting. It's a round robin game. They start throwing the bottom half of the bullpen. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Netherlands ties it up 7-7. And we go to extras. And sure enough, bottom of the of the 10th inning, Netherlands with the bases loaded, two out, full count. I'm behind the plate. Sounds like a squeeze play. Oh, my butt was squeezed for sure. <laughs> I, I was never, ever, ever going to miss that one pitch coming in. That was one pitch in my career that I had to get right. And it sailed a foot over the batter's head, ball four, Netherlands win. It was like a World Series celebration out there. They, first time they'd ever beat Cuba. It was just, it was such, so intense to come back, the emotions. It was just unreal. Nothing that I'd ever experienced before. Um, Osaka was something totally different because, of course, now I'm facing culture shock. Right. Flying halfway across the world. First class? Um, Did you fly first class? No, I flew in the very back seat. I was behind the team. Oh. I was behind Team Canada. How many free drinks do you get? None. No, dear, that's wrong. So we go to Osaka, and we're staying in a first-class hotel, Hotel Hanson. It's, it's, it's fabulous. Rooms are small, as everything is in Japan, but it's, it's fantastic, very nice. Just a couple things about that trip. I needed a haircut in Japan. Well, judging by the amount of hair you have right now, I can tell that you don't need one very often these days. No, I was getting shaved. I was getting shaved. So I had not seen it off. So I wandered down the street. And we're in the downtown area. And I see a barber pole. So I go in. And there's an old gentleman. And I hope it was his daughter. Because I don't want to insult anybody. But it was a younger lady. And I say, just trim, trim. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit. So I sit down. I get a haircut. Uh, he trims my hair and then pulls out a massage machine right? and massages my shoulders and my neck. And I'm like, I've never had this treatment before. I wonder how much this is going to cost. And then the strangest thing happened. This is my start of being old when he pulled out a straight blade, a razor, and went into my ear to get my ear hair. <laughs> now, I'm in, a, I, 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 I'm in a foreign country and the total stranger doesn't speak my language. Put yeah. a straight blade in my ear. And getting my I'm ear like hairs cut. I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Yeah, I would too. I'm starting, I'm starting to get all freaked out here. But I guess that was my uh, welcome to old age 
old old age time, but I actually have ear hair now. I was getting excited to hear, oh, you're going to get your first straight razor cut. Like, if you've never had one, people, no, I, it's awesome. It's in my ear, though. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. The highlight of that tournament, though, was obviously the baseball. The championship round, the super super round, they moved to Koshien Stadium, which, with all respects to Aaron Roberts, his regards to the Tokyo Dome, right. Koshien Stadium is the true Yankee Stadium of Japan. Okay. This is an old, old stadium. Um, it's a stadium where actually Babe Ruth himself visited. Okay. And they have statues and uh, tributes outside the Babe Ruth. And it is a fantastic old ballpark. And I got to work the first Super Round game between USA and Cuba, find a place there. Oh, wow. Um, just just a fantastic experience. I guess from that tournament, too, I also got, got the assignment of first base in the championship gold medal game. USA versus Japan. Unreal experience. 15 to 20,000 Japanese fans there. They love their baseball. An amazing environment to work a baseball game in. Not like North America where fans get on umpires or the opposing team. Fans are very respectful. And right. I made it. Yeah. Sorry. No. It's, um, and I, about the, you're getting emotional. I get it. Yeah. And in about the fourth inning, fifth inning, I think it was, I made a call that I have no idea if I got right or not. Well, I can tell you it wasn't a low outside pitch if you were working first base. No. It was actually a bunt. Back to the pitcher. I move into position to call the play at first base. The American second baseman blows me up, <laughs> runs broadside into me, sends the ass over tea kettle. I must have done two full rolls on the ground. And I get up, having not seen the play, and I see the Japanese runner turn and make a beeline back to the dugout. So on my on my butt, I come up with a note to. I, I called him out. I had no idea actually what happened with play. I was too busy right. dying. Um, so the second baseman from the United States was very nice about it. He came over afterwards and apologized. And all, I, all I remember saying to him is, is, it's okay, I'm Canadian. I can take a hit. Now, Trevor says he can take a hit, but for everyone listening, Trevor was a third-string backup goalie, but that's not the point. This is a post-show edit. If you are looking to see clips and highlights from that game in Japan, go to the show description. I have put a link to that game. So please share, copy, like, all that fun stuff. Thanks. Back to the show. So the other thing about Japan was my first really experience with, with, with replay, even though it was delayed. I had a real close call on a grab ball to the first baseman. First baseman bubbles the ball. Catches it to the, the pitcher running over, who slips as he catches the ball a foot in front of the bag. So now it's foot versus foot going into the bag. And it ended up the Japanese runner was out. And I came up with a firm out signal, and I'm like confident. And this is the final. So the next morning, I fly home. And I get to Vancouver Airport, and I open up my phone, and open Facebook, and I see the WBSC site with one title. The call. And they had slowed down my call at first base. It was that close. Frame by frame with comments on whether I got it right or not. Now, thankfully, I I did get it right. And most people agreed with me. But at that moment, I realized the pressure these major league umpires feel every night when it's being reviewed by, in my case, hundreds, in their case, millions of people. Right. It was a real eye-opener. 
But you know what they say. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. The sun even shines on the dog's ass some days. So, and and my last tournament, my highlight would be just simply in Thunder Bay again in 2017. We had seven Canadian umpires, uh, and my highlight there was that three of us from Canada were from Saskatchewan. Uh, Aaron Roberts, Elmer Trickfitz, and myself all represented Saskatchewan and Canada proudly at that tournament. It was it was just a just a huge source of pride for me that three of us came from Saskatchewan for that tournament. That is quite the accomplishment not just for the individuals, but for the program itself here in Saskatchewan. Something I... Yes. And it goes back to some of the guys that you've named over the years. Rocky, Elmer, Gott Mills, Brian Jansen, Brent Chadwick, Aaron Roberts. And it goes to test what's going on in the province, but also across the country here with the Baseball Canada National Program. Yes. Okay, let's bring this back closer to home. You've been all over the world, Trevor. Where do you do most of your baseball right now? Most of my baseball is honestly done in uh, Western, now called the Western Canada Baseball League. Traveling to most of my, my games are Cliff Kern and Moose Jaw, uh, the odd game in Re- Regina. Um, that's where most of my ball is. I do some senior, senior local ball around here, but uh, it's a very, very small league, so most of, most of my time I spend traveling. What brings you back year after year to want to work that league? Well, firstly, it's, it's the highest level of baseball we have to work in this province, likely in Western Canada. Uh, so I really enjoy working the highest level of baseball. Uh, the, the umpires I get to work with, whether it be the experienced guys in the league or or the, the up-and-comers, are great to work with. Um, it's just very enjoyable. It's an it's a, it's a evening out. It's uh, challenging and relaxing at the same time. When you love baseball, you just like to see the best baseball you can. It's always an honor to work the highest level of baseball in your area, no matter where you are. Considering that you've mentioned the WCBL, WMBL, and yes, you did drop the SMBL. Do you have any memories or funny stories? Countless, Philip. Countless. Ta- talking to you, Philip, of course, I have to mention... Uh, a recent snowball fight we had in, in Weyburn. <laughs> now you know what I'm talking about. It was not one of my highlights, but I had to play that game, and you were, were working first base. Yep. Now we're down in Weyburn. The visiting team hit the, ripped the foul ball down the third baseline. Now Philip Cur- Curtis was managing Weyburn and coaching third base. And we all know that, that Phil Curtis is the gold glove winner for third base coaches. I coached third base. I had an accomplished career, but I never won a gold glove. Philip or Bill Curtis wins that. Um, so this hot shot down the third baseline, he scoops up barehanded. Omar Vizquel's it. Per- Omar Vizquel, perfect footwork, turns and fires it ten feet over the pitcher's head, lands ten feet in front of you at first base. First baseman scoops it up, throws it to the dugout. So I'm like, yeah, let's get a new ball. If Bill Curtis doesn't like this ball, you can't throw it. It's no good. I'm putting a new one in play. So I step from behind the catcher, pull a ball in my ball bag, and airmail the pitcher. I could have I could have got a run stealing second. And just the calamity of the two not play and the looks that went around the diamond from all the overthrows from people who should not be throwing baseballs was hilarious. Right. And I think you made you, you made a pretty good uh Sorry, I'm older. Is it a gif or a gif? 
it's pronounced GIF, not GIF, like the peanut butter. You made a pretty good GIF about that, too. So that was, that was pretty nice to see that that my error is immortalized. Looking back through the years, I remember a plate meeting when I was working Ross Shuchak, uh into a current with Edmonton in town. So we had Ron from Manitoba, Joe Carnahan from Wisconsin, the Swiffer manager, and Ray Brown from Edmonton. And I had to stand there at the plate meeting for five minutes as those three guys did nothing but trash Saskatchewan. And I could say nothing because I was a boldly third base umpire. But I've got my revenge on Ron since then. How so? I reveal the fact that toothbrush was, was invented in Manitoba. It was? Yeah, if it was invented anywhere else, it would be called the toothbrush. Sorry, Ron had to. The league itself has come a long way, though. I remember when I started, uh, we were dressed in Swift Current in the dugout of the Midget Diamond behind Mitchell Field, often while the Midget team was practicing. I remember a number of nights sitting in there during batting practice for the Midget team, ducking foul line drives to become hot in the dugout. I, Bruce Walker almost got killed one night. It was within inches, I think, of, of him losing his life. It was just, it was dangerous. But now we have a nice locker room and everything. League's come a long way. It has come a long way. What are your thoughts on the league helping develop umpires here in Western Canada? A, a couple thoughts there, Phil. Um, uh, first of all, we started out, all of us were new to that level of ball. Yeah. Relatively all of us. Mostly all of us were new to that level of ball. So, so we got to the higher level, um, worked more three-man or three-umpire mechanics than we'd ever worked before and work at a faster faster pace. Right. Obviously, that's going to help anyone being able to do that. Uh, I remember working in Moose Jaw, a game with a young umpire uh, named Chris Short. And maybe this, is, this isn't great for development, but just another story about situations and the things you come across as the league develops. I, I've become pretty well known in Moose Jaw, so... I ended up dumping Michael Hunt, who was the Moose Jaw manager. And in the inning later, I hear from the bleachers behind me, Hey, Drury, eat a Snickers. You're not yourself today. And poor Chris never heard anything like that. I had to wait until he settled down before we could start playing game, play again, because he was hands on knees, head down, just laughing. <laughs> and just, just being exposed to that different intensity and, and a different scrutiny, right. I think has helped propose a lot of people. Uh, now, that being said, that, that league has shifted in a way that, as an umpire committee, we're not officiating that league solely for development of our officials. We want to send our elite officials towards that league and not use it as a development tool as much, more for our elite guys to hold their craft. Fair. If that makes any sense. 100%. The caliber of that ball and, and what's at stake with these college players coming up, and the fact that it is a stat-based league that these kids are trying to better their, their, their career opportunities, we can't use it simply to just experiment with different guys. We've got to put our best product on the field. So. Right. It's a league that you have to prove yourself that you have a baseline competency to work it and then get better from there. Right. Now, one thing I enjoy about that league is the camaraderie. Most umpires that work it, we know each other in some regards. What do you think are some of the benefits of working the league? Well, for me, it's just working with, with 
top umpire in Western Canada, as well as some of the important umpires that they bring into work the league. Um, the camaraderie at the Diamond is fantastic. You can take guys from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different experiences, and we get to the ballpark, and once again, it does cement that brotherhood that we have. We're all there for the same reason. We're there to, to officiate the ball game, get better, and do a good job. So that bond that we have instantly is very noticeable, and it's, it makes it very welcoming. Off the field, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because where I live, I travel to Dakota every day. After every game, I'm a two-hour drive home, so I don't often get to stick around long after the game or go to the pub afterwards or or, or the study or watching pizza, but the time in the locker room, uh, or when I do get to, to, to socialize with the guys, it's just valuable. Talk baseball, talk life, share stories. It's just invaluable, and it just makes baseball way more enjoyable. Trevor, I couldn't agree more. The camaraderie of umpiring is something that brings me back every day, and I highlight that regularly on the show. But let's move on now. We've talked about your experiences, but let's Talk about one of the accolades that you have in this country and the most recent Baseball Canada Award winner of the Dick Willis Award. Would you please share with our listeners what the Dick Willis Award is and what it means to you? The Dick Willis Award is awarded to uh, a Baseball Canada Official of the Year. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an award that's awarded in, in, in multi-sports. So it's other sports as well, not just exclusive baseball, but each, each sport has their own award for Official of the Year. Okay. So, yes, I am a dick. <laughs> in more ways Confirm than one. Confirm it right here, right now, in more ways than one. It's truly an honor to, to be a recipient of that award. If you look back, there's many great names linked to that award. I'm the fourth guy in Saskatchewan. I look back at the other three names. Um, Corey Davis, who is now in Alberta, but was in Saskatchewan when he won it. Rocky Nickel and Scott Mills. All won it before me. I look up to all three of those guys. Well, I look up to Rock, Rocky, and Corey. I just look up at Scott so the player doesn't line <laughs> Cute. Sorry, Scott. I had to. But, uh, no, all three of those guys are very accomplished umpires and have given a lot to the program. And to, to, to be the fourth Saskatchewan guy on that trophy um, is a big honor. But I have to say, my best memory of that award was the first time I was nominated. I was nominated in 2010 after coming back from my first World Cup. That year, the, the award went to David Cass from New Brunswick. Tremendous umpire, fantastic individual. After w- winning the award, though, was one of the highlights of my baseball career. I got to watch David Cass. I don't know if it was midnight or 1 o'clock, but David Cass did a cartwheel into the swimming pool at our hotel in Richmond, British Columbia. If you know David Cass, you can imagine that is quite an accomplishment. Now, my memory may be blurred. He may or may not have dropped his key card into the bottom of the pool while he did that. He may or may not have had to go to the front desk and get a new key card drenching. It was just a fantastic thing. Just, once again, the camaraderie that, that we're all together and we're celebrating David for his award and, and celebrating everybody for the accomplishment of umpires that year was fantastic so for everyone listening out there trevor is graciously agreeing to this interview as he is daddy sitting his two children so thanks trevor it's amazing that you can multitask rumor is you're a multi-sport official but 
You're also a multitasker, so thank you. <laughs> so, Trevor, you're a Dick Willis recipient, official of the year. You've been around the world. You have an accomplished career. One question we like to ask everybody, do you have any future goals as an official? I do. Um, for the first time since I was in university, I've had I have minor baseball in the town that I'm teaching. So uh, Outlook Minor Sports is growing. And as it grows, I'm hoping to be able to help the umpire program grow along with it. So that's one of my main goals right now. Also, you heard my son. He's seven. Uh, one of my goals is just to enjoy watching him learn to love the game as I have as he starts as he continues his rally cap career. I plan to continue to work provincial, provincially and nationally with a little different focus than I once had. Very career driven. I I wanted to do my best, but now on the back nine of my career, as we say, I'm hoping to work these tournaments as more of a mentor and be able to pass on more information. Along with that, I hope to be able to return to Twelve to the supervisor someday just to be able to pass on some of the knowledge that I've, I've gained through my years. Trevor, it's really nice to hear that you're focused on the give back process and building umpire program here in Saskatchewan and Canada. I know that's one of the things that you've been really diligent on over the years, especially in your years as the chief provincial supervisor and, and instilling the contribution program here in Saskatchewan. And thank you for keeping the future generation of umpires at the forefront of your mind while you consider yourself on the back nine of your career. Well, it's that time of the show where we change focus a little bit, Trevor. We're going to move into a section of the show we call 10 questions. Straightforward. It's turning into a fan favorite. I ask you 10 questions and... If I like it, you're going to hear a simple. And if I think you need to keep working on it or I disagree, you're going to hear. Straightforward, simple. Let's have some fun with this. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask a question. Okay, Trevor, since MLB has recently announced their return to play this week, I want to know, what is your favorite Major League Baseball team? The NY Mets. The only NY team that I know is the Yankees. Is there two teams there? There are. The Mets play out of Queens at City Park Field. Is that the farm team? The New York Mets. No, no, no. I've never There's, never heard of them. Did they win any games? 1969 and 86 World Series champions. 2000 NL champ pennant winners. Oh, we're celebrating runner-ups these days. Participation ribbons. And former home of my favorite all-time player, Mr. Gary Carter. He was an expo. He was, and then he went to the Mets and won a world championship. Yeah, I'll, sounds like a farm team to me. <laughs> I want to bring you back to grade four, okay? If you can remember that far back. You're on the teeter-totter or the seesaw. I want to know, were you the person that would jump off, or were you the person that seemed to always get stuck with somebody jumping off on you? Somebody always jumped off on me. That's the one my boat was flat for so many years. It just take me for the last few years to recover it. Poor guy. Kaboom. Okay, moving ahead a couple years. What was your first car? <laughs> the first car I drove with my license was a 1972 Chevy Malibu. Oh, nice. The first car I actually owned was a 1977 Honda Civic Hatchback. <laughs> Let me do that for yeah, you. Yeah, beat me to it. <laughs> I mean, the first one, I, I, I was just sitting there enjoying the, the Malibu story. The Malibu was awesome. Oh, I can imagine. Imagine what that would be with today. Yeah. Now we pride our show that this is Canadian. I want to know, when was the last time you've ever stuck your tongue to a frozen object? Never. That's a lie. You're from Canada. It's definitely happened. Never, ever. 
have I ever. I've said there's no lying on this program. <laughs> okay, we know you're a dad and a homeowner. Are you the type of person who leaves their Christmas lights up all year long? I don't touch Christmas light, lights. That's my wife's job. I hate Christmas. You're a real Grinch. You know that, eh? <laughs> what makes you roll your eyes every time you hear something or see something? Oh, man. There's so many things. So many things. I would have to say political posts on Facebook. Keep the politics to yourself. Yes. Okay, I just heard that a major movie production company is about to release a Trevor Jury documentary. You have the option of allowing anyone to cast and be a narrator of your life. Who are you picking? Okay, I just trashed Facebook, but I'm going to go back to a meme I saw on Facebook. A meme. We've talked about GIFs, now we're on to memes. I'm, I'm going to have to say, to narrate my life, particularly now in 2020, it's got to be Samuel L. Jackson. Because there's going to be a whole lot of mother efforts going on in, in, in my narration. There is only one person that should ever be allowed to narrate anybody's life. Morgan Freeman. Though I do think you would be a good Steve Buscemi. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's talk umpiring. What side shin guard do you put on first? Left. There's really no right or wrong answer to that, so I had to give you one right eventually. There is a wrong answer. Oh, what is it? The same one. If you alternate, you have no routine. It doesn't have to be a ritual, just a routine. So if you, if you, if you bury all over, yeah, that's the wrong answer. Fair enough. It's all personal preference, but you put your left side <laughs> on first. Okay. Is it a clicker or is it an indicator? I cannot believe in 2020 we're coming to this bus. Still alive and prevalent. It's an indicator. Okay, yours. Is it a metal one or a plastic one? Plastic. You need to have something in your hand. Plastic just doesn't do it. I never look at it. Not saying you have to. Just have to ask the catcher what the count is. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've talked. We know you're Canadian. Canada has two official languages, English and French. Are you bilingual? <laughs> no, I am not. Why? I uh, took core French through grade 12 in high school. And all I know from French right now is bonjour, je m'appelle acheter, no, je peux acheter un pomme, which means I'd like to buy an apple. But uh, there's other languages out there too other than French. I don't care if we're bilingual or not, but like my wife is, is, is Filipino. Okay. So I picked up, I, I don't know Filipino. I know two words mainly, Osawa, which is husband. So when she says Osawa and she's talking on the phone, I know she's talking about Ah, oh, so cute. And the second word is guapo, which means handsome. So when I hear hear her say that, I know she's not talking about me. <laughs> That's what our wives do. They love us just as much as they hate us. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, one other language that I might want to learn, um, although it's uh, retroactive, I might want to learn Korean. Why Korean? And this goes back to 2010. One of my first big plate jobs in Thunder Bay. I had the dream scenario for an umpire trying to, to show off. I had the time play. Time play. Lucky guy. I had the runner second from Korea, and the batter hits a double. It gets thrown out of the second base just after the R2 touches home base. So I am pumped. I've got this dream scenario to show off to my supervisors. I, I'm nailing. At perfect angle, perfect distance, I raised my arm up to the score booth, 
wave, that run scores, point of the plate. And as I'm doing that, I feel something. I go to raise my arm up to wave again, and I feel the first base coach from Korea in my shirt collar yelling at me. Must have got it right. You're out. Well, it's his run that I'm scoring, right? Okay. So this this guy is just living. And he's yelling at me in Korean. And I have to take a step back and say, whoa, 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 wait. What is it, what is it, what is this guy doing here? So I think back to myself and what just happened that play? He is most likely here to make sure that run scores, which I'm in the middle of doing. So we're on the same page, but he is irate. And I'm I'm not going to eject the guy for being right. I would. <laughs> so I have to try and figure out a way without a translator there to explain to him that, yeah, he's right. I'm scoring that run. So I pointed the plate and I gave a safe six. No, still yelling at him. I pointed the scoreboard, put up one finger. Hey, still yelling at him. Finally, I point again at the plate. Yes, run scores, safe. And he finally got it. And this whole, this whole ordeal felt like five minutes. It was, it was probably only 35, 45 seconds. No question. But it felt like five minutes. And meanwhile, I'm on the biggest stage of my career that I've had so far with one of the biggest calls, and I'm nailing it, but I look like crap because I'm getting married. You stole your thunder. Yeah. And because I was interrupted in my signal, the people who even knew to watch me didn't know what was going on. Right. And Corey Davis was supervising that game. He actually had to ask me that run scored or not from behind the grandstand. Interesting. So here I am. I'm like pumped. I got this all right. And I'm like, no, this did not work out well at all. Even though I did everything right, it did not work out. So so I wish I would have known Korean. So I could have said right away, yes, that run count. I point out that score that run. I wish I would have known that right then. But Filipino, I'll learn some other time. <laughs> Live and learn, right? Live and learn. Now, keeping with the theme of family, community, and camaraderie of the umpire community, one of the last things we like to do here on The Leading Edge is a shout out to the local legends or the people that helped us get us where we are along the way. Trevor, do you have any local legends that you would like to say hi to? Can I send them more than one? Of course. It's all about saying thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, starting out, there's two guys in South Sudan particularly, father and son, Ed and Rob Bryant, who, as I was starting up hiring, were always at the parts helping out as I moved up, working with Rob more. Ed would be there mentoring. They were fantastic, giving me confidence, giving me more skills. They were fantastic to work with as a youngster. I got up to work senior league baseball, Warren Hen, Rick Haley, and a guy moved up to senior ball with Colin Spence, actually, I mentioned as well as a local legend because we moved up together. We pushed each other all the time. Right. We competed, very, very friendly competition. We worked together. We, we competed against each other. We pushed each other to get better. So, so I'm going to mention him there as well. Uh, just going back, Rick Haley may be a controversial figure in some circles, but his mentorship, his guidance is one of the biggest reasons why I've had the career I've had. Aside from Rocky, of course, as mentioned earlier, and Brian Jackson, Rick really took me under his wing and, and, and taught me a lot about games and now it's about pirate. And finally, maybe the most important, the guy who really taught me about the, the fellowship, the brothership of umpire. As a young umpire, I was called to umpire in Kindersley for, for a tournament. I can't remember what the tournament was, but the gentleman at the other end of the phone was a guy by the name of David Burke, long-time official in Saskatchewan, long-time committee member, called me, little old Trevor Drury, to come out and work his tournament. I worked with Rick Haley, Bob Bieberdor, Brian Jensen, Bob Cloutier, and through that tournament, David Burke and his crew up there really taught me about the fellowship, that I was coming out there as a young kid 
with all these adults. Yet I'm the equal. I'm I'm their brother on the diamond, and then they'll do everything they can to help me out. And I would do everything I could to help them out. So David Burke was quite instrumental in hooking me into the into the brothership of umpires. On a side note, it didn't hurt that his wife Carol um, helped me out as well by stitching up my pants after the game, where I showed everybody in the ballpark that I wore long red underwear. So it's just a great, great baseball community there, and, and David Burke, the event was was a fantastic matchup. So. Well, you must have ripped those pants in that time play, I'd say. That's what that coach was trying to tell you. Your pants were ripped. Yeah, maybe. But in all seriousness, Trevor, that is one of the beautiful things about the family of umpiring, that we come together and support each other as much as we can. So Trevor Drury's local legends are Rick Haley and David Burke. Well, Trevor, this essentially concludes episode five of The Leading Edge. I'm safe to say that you're probably in the top five for at least another week. <laughs> I would like to thank you for coming on the show. And do you have any parting words for us? I'm just hoping that with baseball starting up again, right? that I don't kill your podcast. Well, you don't have to worry. I have two loyal followers, my mother and my mother-in-law. I've yet to get my wife to listen, but we're still working on her. <laughs> but as long as my mother-in-law is around, I'm pretty confident that I'll always have one. Now, before we go, do you have any tips for young umpires? Just uh, my new favorite catchphrase for particularly young umpires or any umpire who's working at a different level they're not accustomed to or anything. Being a father and being home these last three months and it's gone off the pandemic. I spent a lot of time with my kids. And I, I guess just my advice is to officiate every game with the confidence of a seven-year-old seven wearing a Superman t-shirt. You may not know what you're doing, you may not feel totally comfortable, but if you show that confidence, it's going to work out for you. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on Saskatoon and District Baseball Umpire Association President and a guy who's never been scared to rock Crocs and Socks, Matt Shule. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. As umpires, you've never been expected to be perfect. You're allowed to miss two pitches a game. Just be sure they're not the fastball and the curveball. Take care, everybody, and stay safe.